This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. This is the Decibel Geek Podcast with Aaron Camaro and Chris Sinzak. Welcome back to the Decibel Geek Podcast. I am Aaron Camaro, and as as promised, he's back, Chris Sinzak. Oh, yeah. You got your notes and everything together? You're back, you're prepared, you're ready to go? Nope. You've had a whole week to prepare for this moment. You ready to rock and roll? I've had a whole week of a lot of other stuff going on, (laughs) and I'm still unprepared, but I'm back. Right on. But hats off to you for doing an uh, awesome job last week. Thanks, man. It was fun. I enjoyed you know, the I thought I'd, working class heroes. Yeah, episode. pay some tribute to people working hard. Maybe help people out, figure out how to you know, get that job they need to wear earbuds and listen to Decibel Geek. And I was going to fire you for the Steely Dan, but I decided <laughs> not to. Oh, thank you, thank you. I actually like the song. Yeah, well, cool. that's what I said in the sh- in last week's show. I like that our audience is, is flexible, yeah. you know. A lot of times, if you do something like that, you play that Steely Dan. And like I said, you know, there ain't a whole lot of Steely Dan I did. But the stuff that I do dig is pretty damn cool. Yeah, that song's one of them. But yeah. our audience is open-minded enough, right? That you can play something like that and be like, well, it does have a pretty kick-ass guitar solo in it. You know, I gotta kind of <laughs> give it its due. You know, yeah. Todd Rundgren maybe not so much. <laughs> I, I love that song. I've always loved that. Me song. too. Me yeah, too. That was like that was your standard thing that you would hear on the radio on Fridays when getting off. Work. Yeah, that's the yeah. first song that pops into my head like every weekday morning. Yeah, I was so much would rather just stay home and play drums. That's true. Every day. I don't know how to play drums, but I agree. <laughs> but yeah, we got a we have a really cool conversation today to share with yeah. you. Yeah. So I mean, I don't think we should mess around. No, the Damon Johnson uh, came on and we talk about so much cool stuff and it was one of those where we we had, you know, bullet points of stuff we wanted to touch on. But then we sat down with him, and it just started rolling. And I don't yeah. know that we even referenced our notes once. We but we covered pretty much everything we would have wanted to hear from him. Yeah, so you get the nice ambiance of the Starbucks in the background. Yeah, and all the, that. enjoy the scat and, music and their awesome soundtrack that they play for their customers. <laughs> yeah, forgive the soundtrack, but the story is more than made yeah, up for it. And, for and sure, Damon was uh, fantastic, and we thank him so much. And I do need to give a, a shout out of thanks to Mark Striegel from Talking Metal for helping set that yeah. up. We love was, that guy. It was uh, it was a fun talk. I think you're gonna, in my opinion, I think that some of the best stories we've ever gotten on Decibel Geek is yeah. in this conversation. You're. I think we hear. should quit messing around and just get to it. Yeah, shut up, Aaron. Shut up, Chris. Okay, let's, let's get go. back to it. I mean, I'm, I'm glad that you guys wanted to, to get together. Oh, no, I've, I've been a follower of your career since the beginning. 
Yeah, wow. for sure. Wow. Back brother Kane. Yeah, Thank I you. saw I saw you guys you. play the Gibson 100th anniversary show here at Riverfront in uh, 93 or 4. Yeah, yeah, was that, did we play with Kiss? Yeah, yeah. It, was, yeah. It, was, it was brother Kane, Mother Station, uh, Pat Travers, Fleetwood, Fleetwood Mac, Mac well, yeah. Fleetwood Mac in air quotes, and Kiss. Yeah. Uh, Eric Singer was playing with yeah. Kiss that night, and we talked briefly, you know, yeah. no way knowing that I would wind up playing with him and Alice Cooper. Right. Um, I just remember a lot about that night. Oh, really? I'm a big Pat Travers fan, mm-hmm. so that was pretty special yeah. to get to do a gig with Pat. He's always been really, really nice to me. That was my discovery of Pat Travers, was that night? Was that night? Yeah. Really? I hadn't heard any of his stuff before. I think the closest I ever came to being like a stalker of, a, of another band was Pat Travis. Oh, was it? Yeah. He used to play in a bar. He played a bar in Huntsville called Vapors. Mm-hmm. We would go to Vapors to see. They always had great cover bands. There was this Van Halen kind of cover band called Alien out of Atlanta. I don't know if you guys ever heard of them. Mm-hmm. You, you wouldn't be in from right. Man, those guys were fucking good. Yeah. I mean, the guitar player had the tone. And, uh. You know, the singer did all the raw, and it, but it wasn't like a parody. Yeah. They were like legit, like, and they had some of their own songs, and they sound, those songs sounded like Van Halen. Oh, cool. So, anyway, Pat Travis played up there, and we just went and hung out all day. You know, yeah. hung around Soundcheck and hung around the side door. Uh, it was great. Was Sandy playing drums for him at the time? Uh, yes. Yeah. Sandy oh, wow. was playing drums, and. Uh, this is embarrassing. The guy playing the other guitar, uh, Jerry Riggs. Okay. Badass. Yeah. Badass guitar player. Yeah. And then he and Pat together, and they were just loud as fuck, man. It was just peeling the paint off the walls. And yeah. Of course, we loved it. Yeah. We loved it. So, uh, you know, to get to do that. Yeah. That well, gig that you're talking about, yeah, man. Especially. I, was, I think I was 17 at the time of that show, and you guys were playing right as I got in. Broken to Got No Shame because it was, was big on the radio, especially here in Nashville. I remember the crowd woke up quite a bit when that song started. Yeah, that song definitely got it started for us and for me. And um, you know, it could be argued if Got No Shame hadn't caught on as as it did at radio, we might not have gotten to a second single. Really, which means we wouldn't have gotten to a second album. Right. Kind of everything hinged on that song. I might have gone back to school, man, and gotten that engineering degree I had started. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. So you never know. So that was a that was definitely a special time. What you're referring to? That well, I, I mean, here in Nashville, that song was massive in rotation. Yeah. Well, that uh, KDF was really good to us, really supportive. Uh, I remember the program director really well, John Nagara. We got to be friends with him, and he just. For whatever reason, he loved us. Yeah. And put that song in heavy rotation, you know, mm-hmm. after a while. Yeah. So we had to have some good good shows up here, man. Yeah. Um, yeah, that song was big in high school. It was on the radio, it seemed like, all the time. Who's yeah. doing the harmonica part on that song? Well, the guy on the record was a amazing blues man from Birmingham named Topper Price. Mm-hmm. And Topper was a character. Yeah. Part... Tom Waits, part Keith Richards, part, you know, Little Walter, like legit, man. That's a character. Yeah. Legit. <laughs> and, uh, you know, struggled with all the 
booze and drugs and all that stuff. But man, when that fucking guy played the heart, it was it was like Hendrix playing guitar. Yeah. Sorry to be so dramatic, but it was literally like that. Yeah. And what you hear on the record was, you know, eighty percent of it was his first tape. Jesus, nice. One tape, just you know, and cool story about that. We recorded most of the record in Los Angeles, and Jim Mitchell, our producer, had worked with Mike Klink when they did the Use Your Illusion records mm. with, with Guns, which I was a huge fan of. So yeah. when we got Jim, I was excited just because of that. Right. So we were, you know, getting into the overdubs and getting toward the back back end of finishing the record, and he goes, oh, we should get Teddy from Guns. He tours with Guns N' Roses. We'll get him to play the harmonica. And I said, Jim... I would love for Teddy to play on it. I said, but I you gotta trust me. We got this guy. Because yeah. we were coming back to Birmingham to do some overdub. Right. And I said, you gotta, please, just give this guy a shot. Right. And of course, you know, Jim was fucking yeah. nailed. He's like, wow. <laughs> <laughs> Teddy's good, but yeah. he's not topper. Well, it sounds like you could, you could feel smoke coming off the, the harmonica on that on that. It's track. really yeah. special. Yeah. And I've always said that Topper's performance really kind of gave us our start. Right. Because for whatever reason, you know, when the program directors would listen to the song, mm-hmm. you hear a harp like that. You know, it's not like anything you've ever heard before. Yeah, yeah. Plenty of harmonicas and rock songs, but sure. this was beyond Peter Wolf and Jay Giles yeah. or Steven Tyler or, or Jagger, for that matter. It was, yeah. it was really something out yeah, yeah. this world. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, so that yeah really really kind of helped us get started. Gotcha. So I don't know, and, and Fool Shine On got a lot of play up here too. Yeah, man, I think that surprised us as much as anybody. Um, I think we went into the second album kind of resigned to the fact that, well, wow, we had real success on the first record. It's going to be impossible to match that. Right. You know, we just hope maybe we'll get a little more airplay and we can keep touring and building our, yeah. our audience. Yeah. And uh, Full Shine On was number one at Rock Radio for six weeks. Yeah. Unfathomable. And uh, the other two big songs that year were December by Collective Soul. Oh, yeah. And some Soundgarden song. But at, like, just this active rock stations or straight-ahead rock stations, we crushed both of those songs. Mm -hmm. But those bands also got alternative radio airplay right and at that time in 95 you know there were tons of alternative stations and you know we just weren't a part of that i think i always thought that you guys it was weird because you got you guys couldn't be pinned down to a specific genre because then full shine on it fits with the alternative song songs at that time i agree it was a blessing and a curse you know, it was a curse because we certainly could have used that exposure then. Yeah. You know, there's a real chance a band would probably still be together today oh, if yeah. we could have played in front of that audience, a younger audience. Yeah. Right. I think with the first album, and particularly because we had toured with classic rock bands yeah. like Skinner and Bad Company and Robert Plant and even Aerosmith. Yeah. I think for those alternative station program directors, it kind of pigeonholed us. Right. To where sure. they're I like, see that. oh, you're okay. connected to these bands. Right. And yeah. you're connected to those other stations. Right. You're oh, connected. So they don't want to touch you. You're connected to our competitor. Yeah. And the competitors 
the classic rock mm-hmm. guys and the active rock guys, they needed their own bands. Right. Because the alternative stations were sopping up all the yeah, pumpkins and right, Pearl yeah. Jam and Nirvana and right. all the B and C yeah, levels. Only so many jackals and hair yeah. of the dogs and stuff like that out there at that time. There there really was and fuck man, we didn't know what we were doing. We just you know, the first record we made it because it was that's just what we sounded like. Yeah. And then we you know, we were as turned on by some of the new music as anybody else, and I think that affected our second record in a positive way, yeah. in a good way, without us like just like, oh, we were this and now we're that. It wasn't it wasn't anything like that. Was it the was it the difficult thing that you always hear with bands on the second album? Like, you know, you have your whole life to write the first one, then you got a few months to write the next one. Honestly, Chris, we were an exception to that because I hadn't had my whole life to write the first record. I had not written lyrics to a song until we started writing those songs for the Brother Kane record. What a lot of people don't realize is that when we got signed to Virgin Records, I was just a guitar player. We had a singer that we had for a while when we were showcasing. And good guy powerful but his voice was very shrill mm. it was kind of abrasive and it turned off a lot of the record companies is this at the time you guys are calling yourselves child we were child yeah. very good Aaron. yeah and Chris man. yeah man way to go child with a Y yeah that's right <laughs> so <clears throat> yeah right that wasn't poser at all <laughs> <laughs> that's what you say as soon as they got signed first thing Virgin probably said it was like no child yeah no, know, ch- no well, child we, could, we were smart enough to clip that ourselves yeah. thank goodness um but then we, the label liked our songs enough and they liked the way I played guitar enough, unbelievably, yeah. that they at least signed us to a development deal. Oh, okay. They started spending some money on us, making more demos and looking for another singer. Mm. And they even sent some guys to town. How do you get on their radar to begin with? I mean, do you guys pick up and go to L.A. for something like this or do they find you at home? Great question and it's a great story. I had been in a couple of bands that had record deals before I joined. One was a band called Witness uh, that had uh, Debbie Davis. She was the lead singer. It was kind of like a journey, mm. Pat Benatar sort of thing. They'd made a record. I joined to promote the record. Then I joined another band out of Memphis called the Delta Rebels, which is very ACDC Skinner. Mm. More my kind of music. Yeah. Uh, same story. They'd made the record. They needed a band to tour. And I just thought, well, man, if if these guys that were in Witness and Delta Rebels can get a record deal, man, I'm gonna try to get my own with my and, and do some music that I really, you know, that I, I that I write and I'm a part of it and play on the record. So I'll try to make a long story short. My old manager from the club days got excited about that idea. He called another guy he knew, saying, "Hey." My guitar player needs a singer. And his buddy goes, I got a singer. And it was this guy, yeah. Hamey, that sang in Child. So Hamey and I got together, man, and really quick we came up with some good songs. So kind of having two smart, small-time managers. The other caveat was that when I was in the Delta Rebels, I saved the business card from this attorney that we met with one time named Fred Davis. Mm-hmm. Well, Fred Davis just happened to be a big New York attorney Believe it or not, of no consequence, his father was Clive Davis. Oh, wow. wow. So I cold called Fred Davis when we made these demos, me yeah. and Amy. I 
said, hey, Fred, this is Damon Johnson. We met at Delta Rebels. He goes, I remember you, Damon. He goes, what's happening? And I said, I took your advice. I put a band together, made some demos. I got a good manager. Would you check it out? He said, wow, send it. So I send him this cassette tape. He listens. He's impressed. Calls me back. He goes, wow. He goes, I want you and Haney to meet me at the Vanderbilt uh, Lowe's oh, Hotel. Okay. He says, y'all drive up. I'm in town for business. Come and meet me. So, of course, we were on time. Yeah. Spinning our bow tie. <laughs> and Fred said, um, I want you to go home, put a band together, get a drummer and a bass player, take a photo, call it whatever you want to call it. He said, but make sure when you burn the cassettes to send me to shop, make sure you put Birmingham, Alabama on the spine. Mm-hmm. And I said, really? We shouldn't put L.A. and New York. Right. He said, no. Wow. Because everybody's from L.A. and New York. Yeah. Uh, because nobody's from Birmingham, Alabama. <laughs> yeah, when you got a stack of them He goes, if LA. I come calling with something that says it's from Birmingham, Alabama, he goes, they're going to listen to it. Nice. Said, wow. That's an interesting way of looking at it. So that's the answer to your question. Huh. That's pretty cool, man. So if you yeah, hadn't yeah. done that cold call, who knows what, what would have turned out. Right. That's crazy. Or held on to that card. Yeah, I mean, there's other music attorneys, and, you know, I don't begrudge anybody being out, you know, looking out for their best interests and trying to grow their company and grow their relationships. But you know, a lot of the guys I hadn't met peripherally in, in Nashville, they just, I don't know, man. The attorneys, I mean, right. music lawyers. I just never got a good feeling with them. Yeah. A lot of a lot of credit goes to my manager yeah. at the time, who I'm still great friends with to this day. Cool. He really kind of saved me, man. So another interesting footnote to this story for the purposes of this sure. podcast is that... So when I became the singer, we were already kind of under the clock. We had to come up with some songs. And I also had to get some experience in front of a crowd in the middle of the stage. You know what I'm saying? I had always been on the on the right. So we started playing gigs around Birmingham, and we already had a lot of friends and kind of a following. So, you know, we were playing in some cool places, and people were there. I'll never forget, man, my manager came and, he recorded one of the first shows. You know, he told the sound man, he says, record the show, you know, bring the tape to my office tomorrow because it was like fucking two in the morning that we were playing crazy hours. So I'll never forget, man, I was at home and the phone rings and it's my manager. He goes, hey, man, what are you doing? I said, nothing. He goes, get down here. We have to talk. And I I thought he was like going to talk about how great the show was. Yeah. So I sit down and he hits play. On, he goes, I want you to hear something. And he plays the tape from the night before. And, man, I was talking to the crowd between songs, and I sounded like every other jive-ass, yeah. <laughs> shit-talking poser. Real you know, the, You're up yeah. there doing your best Paul Stanley? Yeah, like, like bad Paul Stanley. Yeah. Like, like bad... I don't want to offend anybody because I'm friends with so many of these guys now, but, like, just really bad sunset strip yeah. bullshit. Right. Paul's... Some of the guys we'd been playing with, that was kind of their vibe, and that's how they talked. And you see the girls getting off sure. and yeah. pulling their tops off. You're like, okay, well, if it works for them, right, if it works yeah. for them, that's how you got to roll. So he played me and said, all right, this next song, you know, and I'm trying to be like this really, I think I sound like Steven Tyler, and I just sound like a fucking asshole. <laughs> and, he, and he said, he told me, 
He said, Damon, if you ever talk like that to a crowd again, I, I can't manage it. Wow. And I got offended. Like, I got real defensive, and we kind of got heated. And I, he said, listen, he goes, do you want to be David Lee Roth, or do you want to be Eric Clapton? And I went, wow. Wow. Got it. Right. You know, yeah, especially at that time, yeah. Got it. Like at that moment, I went, say no more. Yeah. And dude, that was it. And so, irony of ironies, you know, like three months later, we put out some advanced copies of the album, and some cool booking agent in Chicago heard it, call, cold called our offices and said, hey, would the guys be interested in going out with Buddy Guy oh, nice. and playing a few shows? And I was oh, like, fuck yeah. yeah. So, you know, I was at the management office when we got that call. And we hung out the phone and Conrad goes, aren't you glad we had that talk about that jive-ass <laughs> yeah. way? Because yeah. he goes, if you'd have talked like that in front of a Buddy Guy crowd, he goes, they, somebody would have cut you with a pocket knife yeah. and killed yeah. you. And I was like, no shit. Good call, brother. <laughs> Lesson learned. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. But like in the early wow. days of Brother Kane, you guys, like you said, you guys toured with some of the greats, you know, with some of your heroes. So going from, you know, music fan, all of a sudden the dream's starting to come true. You're getting a tour with these guys. I mean, how, I mean, did you have, I mean, you got to think you had a lot of pinch me moments on those tours. Bunch of pinch me moments. I'm, I'm shameless in my fandom of those bands that I grew up on and you know my wife gives me shit about it to this day you know we, we have a 12 year age difference and she's from Southern California and you know grew up on the Beastie Boys and 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 you know you know hair bands and stuff yeah. and she loves that stuff but man you know she does love Bad Company I'll give her that she loves Paul Rodgers voice but you know Skinner was slow for her to come around even Thin Lizzy was kind of you know she came around sooner or later but my point is, is I loved Leonard Skinner and Bad Company, fucking Robert Plant, man. Oh, yeah. To get to tour with him. Right. And, you is know... Is intimidating to be around? Well, he he was just... He wasn't intimidating. I just think we went into it intimidating. Yeah, it's right. like, fuck, man, this is the greatest of all time right here. This is yeah. this is the golden god. This is the man. And I was a fan of the of his solo records as, as, mm-hmm. as well, you know. So um, he, we were setting up the very first night. We played the Tower Theater in Philly, and I was down you know, at my mic stand, put plugging my pedals in, and I just feel somebody walk up, and he goes, hello, excuse me, just want to introduce myself, my name's Robert, you know, and I just stood up, and was just like, oh, wow, I said, I know who you are, and he laughed, and, you know, it was another stroke of luck for us that our manager had a partner, an older, respected kind of a legend in the concert promotion business named Tony Ruffino. Mm-hmm. Well, Tony Ruffino and Robert's manager, Bill Kirbishly, were old friends. And Robert had done dates with Tony when he was in Led Zeppelin, like up on the East yeah. Coast. So, you know, little things long like term, that. So, you know, Tony had called Bill Kirbishly and said, hey, I got these all my boys, they got a great little band and we need some dates. And Bill's like, well, hey, how about I get you some Robert Plant dates? Like, oh my God, the kids would love it. You know, yeah. <laughs> none of that shit would happen man, without Tony. So, yeah. you know, and Robert had great things to say about Tony, and, and you know, so 
that was all important time for me because I began to understand quickly, like, hey, man, these guys put their socks on one at a time, just yeah. like I do. They love music as much as me. They just came up in a different time, yeah. got lucky, surrounded themselves with some, some talented people, and, and everything worked out for them. So it was great for me to learn to relax around yeah. that kind of star power. Yeah. So it really served me well as time went on. We opened for Aerosmith, and I was a lot more comfortable. Yeah. And, of course, they were super gracious. Same with Van Halen the next year yeah. when the second record came out. And for me, that was the, the top. Van Halen. Uh, because as a kid, I'm just like you guys. I love so many bands yeah. as a kid, but Van Halen just dominated my life. Yeah. Uh, you know, junior, senior year in high school and into junior college. It's, yeah. It's all I wanted to know about. So that was a big deal. Yeah. That's awesome. You hear that cool. story from so many yeah. good guitar players, you yeah. know, that who came up in that time, you know? Yeah, well, they were, I mean, they were on a completely different level from everyone else. Sure. Yeah, the they were untouchable. And it's been great growing up working with other people and then even asking for instance talking to Alice Cooper yeah about Van Halen talking to Scott Gorham about Van Halen yeah um, even the established stars you know were blown away yeah, with, yeah. Uh, that was phenomenal Van Halen yeah Scott told me a great story man you guys will love this um, Scott and Lizzie were in Detroit for a night off in 79 they were on the Black Rose tour and Gary Moore was still in the band so they go down to Cobo Hall because Black Sabbath and Van Halen are playing and Scott said Damon I was standing next to Gary Moore the first time he ever saw Eddie Van Halen play guitar and I said, wow. <laughs> I said, how was that? He said, he was speechless. Yeah. Uh -huh. He got this really kind of puzzled look on his face, you know, and just kind of like leaned in like, what the fuck is this guy doing? Right. What is happening right now, you know? And I said, well, what did you think? He goes, oh, I was blown away. He says, but it was just killer. He said, we were we were all, you know, doing coke and, and just <laughs> hanging out. And it was it was a big party. And he said, I partied with the Van Halen guys that night. He said, but not Gary. He said, Gary watched about three songs and split. Really? And went back to the hotel to get out his guitar. And like, Start I got to figure this shit out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Gary Moore. That's you knew something right when you impressed Gary Moore. Yeah. Come on. Right. Yeah. One of the best. Gary's in my top. Oh, yeah. two. He's you one know. of the greatest. So yeah, I love that story. Yeah, oh, that's great. That yeah, and Van Halen was regularly blowing Sabbath off the stage on that tour. Yeah, it was. Yeah. A, it was a bloodbath. I guess it was '78 was yeah. actually when that was. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, wow. You that's know, a my great story. Yeah. yeah, you know, it's been so much fun for me, guys. I'm, I'm uh, you know, if I'm not going to be. Jimmy Page or B. Eric Clapton. It's it sure has been fun having all these experiences and, and getting to play with my heroes and 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 just be with the guys in my band and, and have these experiences and these memories yeah. and, and laugh it up and right. just go like holy shit, man! Joe Perry just came in our dressing room and stole a, a can of Coke. That was awesome. <laughs> you know? See, you may not be able to be Eric Clapton or nothing, but that seems like being Damon Johnson's all right. You know what, brother? Yeah. I I couldn't agree with you more. 
it has been all right. And it's funny, I was thinking about it on the drive over here because, um, you know, I'm always flattered when people want to interview me. And I just feel like I'm in a, the best time of my life. I've never been more fulfilled as a as an artist, as a musician, as a as a guitarist, as a you know, as a band member. Uh, you know, my family's solid, and the kids are all healthy, and I just feel really grateful, yeah, man. Awesome. A lot of a lot of good stuff happening. Well, I mean, for me, I mean, obviously, I'm a big Lizzie fan, also, but the, the Black Star Rider stuff stands on its own. I mean, it, it's, thank you. You guys, I mean, the first album, everybody's like, oh, it's Thin Lizzie with a different name, and I even I thought that at first, but then once you get into the second and third records, it's just like you know they're clearly defining their own their own thing now. And you know it's uh, it's one of the the better bands of the last decade. Well, thank you very much, Chris. We are certainly proud of what we've been able to do. Uh, we always credit Scott for having the the faith and even the fortitude to go. Okay, guys, I'm going to get in the bus with you, and we're going to start a new band. Yeah. And nobody's going to know who we are until we educate them about it. You know, let's go do this. Yeah. I, it wouldn't have happened without Scott. Yeah. And it wouldn't have happened without having a talent on the level of Ricky Warwick to to kind of step into that role initially in Thin Lizzy. Yeah. And then he's such an accomplished songwriter. Um, I'm proud of the music. You know, certainly Scott and I do a lot of the heavy lifting with that. Ricky's a great guitar player. Yeah. He comes in with a lot of riffs himself. But man, Ricky's lyrics and his storytelling, I just think it's untouchable. I don't know of any other band that's making new hard rock music right now. I don't know of anybody that the lyrics to the songs are as good as Ricky's, or as that have the intent of Ricky's that have the storytelling element, yeah. I guess. Uh, you know, no disrespect to any other band, certainly any other singer that's, you know, writing songs and, and, and singing whatever he wants to sing about. Um, I just think he's raised the bar, man. And and for me, it's how incredible to be between those two guys. Right. And, you know, they both make, you know, it makes me a better lyricist, it makes me a better guitar player. Yeah. Uh, my... I, honestly, man, after Brother Kane, other than a little bit of songwriting I did with Alice Cooper and a little bit of Whiskey Falls, I just kind of, I sort of had reached a place where I thought, okay, being an artist has kind of passed me by. Right. I had my shot, Brother Kane. Right. It was fun, it was cool. Yeah. Those songs that stand the test of time, you right. know, great, I'll just be a guitar player. Because guitar playing is easy for me. Yeah. Fronting a band and writing lyrics is harder. Yeah. It's not natural. Right. So, um, but Ricky and Scott have really, I feel, reborn as an artist. I've, yeah. I've never written as many songs as I'm writing now. You know, yeah. Between the BSR and my solo stuff. Right. Uh, just, wow. Uh, and again, I'm grateful for that. I, I never saw that coming. Yeah. Um, it's, it's not easy being in Black Star Writers just from an exposure standpoint. Um we're in a weird position because it's like to a lot of people we are still this heritage act 
because it is so connected to Thin Lizzy. Right. Yeah, and we do have a 66-year-old guy on stage with us. Mm-hmm. So to the younger audience, we're an old band. Right. right. Yeah. But we don't have any hits as Black Star Riders. You know, if we go out with Priest or Def Leppard or even our buddies in Clutch, for that matter, I mean, they got legacy. Those guys, all those bands have songs that you know. Right. And... You know, doing that Judas Priest tour that we just did was amazing. Mm-hmm. And you couldn't have asked for a better platform for us and a better opportunity for us. Sure. And the crowds were great to us. Yeah. There was one song they knew every night, and yeah. that was Jailbreak. <laughs> yeah. Wow. You know what I'm saying? Well, or, yeah, you, you, know you, you kind of have to serve that one up, I'm sure. I mean, well, you just, you feel like, we, we love playing those songs. Yeah. And, you know, we have every right to play those songs. And I, the audience loves hearing us do them. And, our, and the Black Star Writers fans enjoy hearing us sure, play them. Sure. But just when you look at it from a, how do you grow a yeah. new band of dudes in their 50s plus mm. playing Les Pauls and Marshall Stacks, that's hard. Right. I guess you're mostly relying on the people that, you know, were, were fans of Brother King, fans of Thin Lizzy, or, you know, people that listen to shows like ours that heard about it and checked yeah. it out and said, this is awesome. Well, you, you know, know, and you know, Mark, there's probably older guys like us. Well, there's, you know? yeah. there's, there's a good groundswell of podcasts now that cover a lot of these bands. And you may not necessarily call something a radio hit. But there's certain like Killer Instinct or you know or, uh, All Hell Breaks Loose or thank you those songs among our community are hits. To wow, us. that's awesome. Man. Yeah, like for real. And uh, well, thank you for saying that oh, because oh, yeah. because you are right. I, I don't get a sense of that. Yeah, just because you know I've got my blinders on, sure. trying to balance you know home and and the band right, and, right. and solo stuff. Sure. So. I, I enjoy kind of punching the clock every day sure. and being a songwriter and, and recording and, and that kind of stuff. So it's uh, it's great to know. Well, and like the that people are listening. Yeah, and they, well, and that they, like the year that the first album came out, uh, Hey Judas was that was my favorite song of the whole year. Wow! And I had a well, no, I played it on. We do a best of the year episode every year, and a number of people like that Black Star Rider song is awesome. I went out and bought the album just because it. Yeah. That's one of the catchiest. That song lives up to anything Lizzy song. Wow, well, Chris! I mean, thank you, man. Thank you very much. Oh, no, it's just thank you. you know, what a what a trip to to sit and talk about these songs like this because you know when you mention a song like Hey Judas I think about where we were when we wrote it yeah sure yeah and um you know just to know that you're sitting around writing something kind of for your own entertainment mm-hmm. like hey man let's see if we can come up with something cool um you know and then here I am what five years later yeah. talking with you guys talking about it. Talking that, about that song exemplifies the chemistry between you guys well, it definitely exemplifies the chemistry that Ricky and I have um, you know we wrote that one fast and a lot of times the fast ones are the best ones, the best ones. you know yeah. the ones that you don't labor over it's um you know there's so much about the band that I love and you know the things about it that are tough are really tough sometimes like most of our touring is out of the country and you can't feasibly economically get everybody to Europe without just staying over there for weeks and weeks and weeks you pretty much move for a while yeah and 
you know, I would not pretend to deny that that part of it I don't enjoy. Of course. Just because I'm crazy in love with my wife and I have young kids. I have my second set of young kids. You know, my I have three older kids from when I was in Brother Kane and, yeah. you know, I was gone, man. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I, you know, I love them and we're, we're tight to this day, but... That's got to be the toughest part of the job. There's no question, man. There's no no contest. That's absolutely the toughest part. And look, I got tons of friends, man, that are single or they're married and, and don't have any kids. And they made that conscious decision yeah. to like, hey, man, I'm going to be an artist. I'm going to be a, a tour musician. So it would be better for me and for a potential family that maybe I don't have those kids. Yeah. So, you know, just full disclosure, that's the yeah. toughest part. Absolutely. And that's real tough mm-hmm. like you can compare it to the songs and the fulfillment and the crowds right. and the festivals and yeah man and wow Ricky and I wrote this cool song today called Testify or Say wow. Goodbye and it's right. badass <laughs> that's all killer yeah. but this thing is like this giant thing over here always kind of I'm always just looking at it going <laughs> I feel like the guy spinning the plates on the Sullivan show. Well, it's kind of like the old story that, you know, like the show itself, you do that for free. But what you're getting paid for is all the travel and all yeah, the yeah, business in between, right? Bingo, brother. Yeah. yeah, you're getting paid for those hours in the airports and waiting in the lobby for the hotel to clean the room so you can get into your room. And shitty Wi-Fi in the backstage. Even at big venues, the Wi-Fi is shitty. <laughs> you know, so you can't use your iPhone to FaceTime your kid yeah. that just had a dance recital or yeah. a hockey game and stuff like that. Yeah. But man, you know, to swing all of that to like the positive side, I, I'm so lucky to have a family that supports yeah. me doing what I love. Yeah. That's people, a rare commodity. People say all the time, they go, well, you know, you're supporting your family. I'm like, you know what, bro? They're supporting me. Yeah. They're letting me. Yeah. They're, they're giving their okay yeah. for me to be gone for weeks at yeah, a time. because they sacrifice as much as you do. They really do. Oh, and, sure. and I'm all three of us, man, we know guys mm-hmm. that have lost marriages, oh, totally. have lost sure. good partners in their life Absolutely. because that partner had to say, look. Yeah. I love you, but I don't ever see you. I, yeah. I didn't sign up for that. That's a hard thing to pull Yes, off. I knew you were a musician, but I didn't know it was going to be like yeah. this. Sure. It's not all parties. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, when I'm home, man, my chick gets the goddess treatment. <laughs> <laughs> happy wife, happy wife. That's right. Because she deserves it. But it's great to hear you say those nice things about the songs. I couldn't be more proud of the three records we've made. Yeah, they're great the songs that we've created, the sound that we've created, you know, to work with Nick Raskulinix on the last two records. I was going to ask you about him. He's, he does a phenomenal job with the guys. Nick, um, it even sounds weird to me to say it, Nick has become one of my best friends because he lives in Nashville. Yeah. His, his wife and my wife really hit it off before he and I got to know each other. So, you know, for us to come together with our families first, I think, was kind of key that made it yeah, different sure. yeah. and then the rock and roll was just sort of oh hey man we need a producer you got any time in September and he was like well let me check my calendar uh, you got any demos let me hear the song you know Yeah. so I'll never forget that day when Nick goes can you send me some songs I mean dude I was giddy as a fucking 
junior high cheerleader. Oh, his resume speaks for itself. Oh, yeah. Dude, I've got so many records that that guy, yeah. you know, produced and mixed and engineered. And yeah. So that was a happy day to get a call from Nick saying, hey, man, I like what I'm hearing. Yeah. I sent him a demo of, uh, they were just acoustic demos of Ricky and I, but we had already written Killer Instinct, Charlie, I Gotta Go, uh, Sex, Guns, and Gasoline. I'm thinking of songs on the second record. Yeah. And he was into it, you know? So uh, what, a, what a great experience. One thing I love about him is I, I, we haven't had the pleasure of interviewing him. We hope to one day. Um, but he interviews I've seen with him or, or read with him he he's similar to you where he, he just he's a, a giant music fan like and he never lost sight of that because you know, he's as successful as a producer can get but he still geeks out over bands that he loves you know what man anybody that doesn't geek out over their, the music they love it's almost it's kind of like I don't even want to really know them well yeah. yeah it's like why are you still doing it then yeah yeah I want to believe that that's why a guy like James Hetfield is still doing it. Mm-hmm. Is that the music he loves, he's right. still giddy about yeah. it. Sure. Like this, guys at that level, I mean, it's not like they need the cash. They can hang it up at any time they want. There's got to be that, like you say, that artist inside of them, you know, that feels good about letting that stuff out. You know, Paul McCartney, going. man. Yeah. yeah. He, he's not going to stop playing. You guys see right. this... this uh, carpool karaoke. Yeah, dude, it's everywhere this week. <laughs> I tweeted on uh, Monday morning. I said... Paul McCartney and James Corden have broken the internet. Yeah, they <laughs> did. It's pretty cool. Because it was just so great. Man. Well, seeing him go back to all those places from his from his childhood and everything. Oh, I just the reactions of the other dude that's with yeah. him, you know, and yeah. he's just, you know, you see, he's yeah. like, I can't believe this happened. You know, what it's a like great, how any of us would have been in that in that Oh yeah, man, and what a great role model for all of us. Yeah, yeah. us. Yeah, you know. Forget that he's an iconic songwriter, legend, musician. Just huh. God loves music. Yeah, right. Just loves it. Yeah. He loves to play music. He loves to entertain. Yeah, bro. You kidding me? If I knew I could be playing music for a living yeah. still and doing it well, at how old is he now? 80? 76? Something like that. Dude, somebody asked me that. I think my mom asked me. Seventy six, I think. Let's just take a minute. Yeah. We'll see if it... Give me a Google, nanosecond. Let's go to the Google machine and find let's out. go to the Google machine. Here it goes. Let's see if I'm right. This will take five seconds. I think Paul is I saw him. I saw him here at Bridgestone a few years ago, and it was to this, it's still the best show I've ever seen. Yeah? Yeah. And keep in mind, I've seen Kiss six times, and that's saying something if you're topping that. Yeah, I Damn, you're right. 76. I'm a geek. Oh, I know, I know why I had him older than that. Why? Because 76 is way the fuck older than 67. And see, the numbers, the age is getting so much older. I the, I guess I'm getting numerical dyslexia. Because, <laughs> see, Scott Gorham is sick. I think he just turned 67. He did. So, Paul is nine years older than Scott. Wow. Yeah. Wow. He hasn't lost anything either. He's still great. Yeah, yeah. that's good. Man. Well, you know, those are... Uh, uh, Alice Cooper talked about it all the time. He said, hey, man, as long as Jagger and McCartney are still out there playing, he goes, you can bet I'll... I'll oh, that's another one. Talk about a role model. I mean, yeah. That guy, he lives the life. I mean, he's, he's, he sets the best example you could set. And he's been... I mean, the fact well, that he's even lived through the early 80s with what he went through is a miracle in itself. Yeah, his story is incredible, and... You know, he's another guy that has an incredible partner in his life, Cheryl. She's special, man. And 
you know, now that they're empty nesters, they just travel the world together. Yeah. She's with it. Goes on tour, is in the show, um, and tolerates him fucking playing golf every day. I cannot believe that. So she's out there with him, and he still has to go play golf every day. No, he doesn't even ask. She just, she wants him out there. She wants that's him out the door. Yeah. You know, that's what that's what keeps him sober, man. Yeah, he changed, that's his new vibe. Suppose, yeah. Yeah. Uh, he does not want to be... Frankie, go play some golf dude, right now. He, do, he does not, he, he does not want to be stuck in a hotel room with nothing yeah. to do. Yeah. I suppose. In a mini bar sitting there staring at oh, him, you know? Yeah. Well, when they, um, when he was opening for Motley Crue at Bridgestone and he went up playing Chuck brought the whole band over to the residency at Dan McGinnis at the time oh yeah and like, so that. the whole band came and they played a few songs and then because everybody's like because Chuck told me before that like, Alice is going to come and I'm like oh so I'll definitely be there so I get there and everybody's kind of looking around those of us that knew and then finally, when he came, though, he got ushered in, he did his songs, and he got ushered out. And then I was talking to some, I think Homer, who I was talking to, but they were like, he will not allow himself to hang out at a bar. Yeah. He's like, he, he wants to get in, and he wants to get out. Well, yeah, and too, man, it's just, that's asking a lot of him. Well, he just to just, to just kind of throw himself to the wolves. Right. Because can you imagine that guy, the, the, how how much he would have to talk? And Yeah. Just yeah, no, you would never get out of there. It would take oh, forever. No. And they, yeah, they had a whole procession of people, you know, getting. No, it in was and cool. Out. It was like yeah. the crowd parted. It and really boom, was. There he was. You know, he did yeah. his thing, yeah. and then he was gone. Yeah. And then Chuck's band played. But it was uh, still amazing. The next year, and I got to see him there too. Well, you know, I was there. Yeah, I watched you play. Yeah, you pl- we played, you, you played that night. Yeah, that's right. That's so, right. Uh, I tell people the first two times I saw Alice Cooper was in the clubs. How about that? <laughs> yeah, cool. and then we saw him at T Pack. Once and then we saw the T-Pack show with the original band at the end of the show. That was yeah, really yeah. awesome. I was there. That was yeah. amazing. We took the kids to that. Yeah, man. Right on. That was history. Right? It's great to see Dennis again. Yeah. Uh, I love Dennis Dunaway. Such a good, such a good guy. Well, your set at the basement East was one of the loudest sets I've ever witnessed from a band. Like good loud or bad loud? No, it was good loud, but it, but was, it was, loud. was loud. Yeah, it was like arena level loud. <laughs> It's like they got the, the amp, they got the PA cranked up like it's Bridgestone, but we're in the basement. Yeah, <laughs> I, I had a couple. I met Alice Cooper at Gold Rush because his daughter was playing at Exit Inn, and so he put on a hat and stuck over. Oh really? This guy used to play guitar for him. <laughs> well, he has the same band. Hope you don't mind me out here. So I met Jerry Control like on the same like the same day. Oh yeah. Control's in the Gold Rush. That's awesome, man. That's awesome. <laughs> What's the guy? I can't remember his name, but he was on the gold road. His daughter hung out there for a few days. Oh, that's cool. That's killer. <laughs> Hell yeah. Super cool. I'm trying not to bother you in this situation. Right. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, he's super, he's super, super friendly, and you know, like you said, he's another great role model, man. Yeah. I, I've been to so many golf courses and movie theaters and shopping malls with Alice and, you know, man, you don't ever roll in with, you know, a posse or a no, bunch of security guys. Or stuff. No. I mean, he had to at something like the residence. Sure. Yeah, that it was night. different. But uh, he's just like us, man. Loves music. Yeah. Loves music. Yeah, pretty good memories of touring with him. All good memories. Yeah. All good memories. Um, you know, I'm, I'm indebted to Eric Dover. Who was playing guitar for Alice? 
before I did, and Eric is also from Alabama. Right, right? yeah. And um, Eric called me at home one night and was telling me that he was thinking about moving on from Alice to work on his own stuff. And Good night, I'll look you up, sir. Right on, brother. Thank you. Um, and honestly, I thought Eric was maybe drunk or something because he goes, hey, man, I'm going to... I'm going to recommend you for the gig. Wow. And when I tell you, I didn't get excited. It literally went in one ear and out the other. I thought, he's pulling my leg. Yeah. You know? It's just Eric. I said, all right, bro, I love you. I'll talk to you later. (laughs) Call me next time you're in town. Yeah. I swear. I didn't didn't think anything of it. And about two weeks later, I got a call from Alice's tour manager. And he said, hey, we got your number from Eric Dover. We're having these auditions. Uh, sorry they're in Los Angeles sorry we can't fly you out Mm. Um, but this is the day that they are and uh, if you want to come you know so Linda and I talked it over and uh, we were just our first child together was about to be born so uh, this was like I want to say on August the 20th or August 19th so we agreed to do it Gabriel is born on August 24th. I'm at the hospital with earbuds and my guitar learning Halo of Flies <laughs> and uh, Billion Dollar Babies. Yeah. That was a Tuesday. He was born the, tw- the Thursday was the 26th. I got on a plane and flew out there and auditioned. Yeah. Wow. Wow. And, um been on tour ever since yeah <laughs> you know it's like brother kane ended in 99 and yeah. then i kind of i did a few different things and then that was kind of like the the transition period so it was brother kane transition 15 years or 14 years of touring that started wow. with alice and then lizzie and then wow yeah it's pretty so, wild. Uh, i was going to tell you my you know everybody has like their favorite bands and like my big four it's Alice Cooper, then Lizzie, Kiss, and the Ramones. Stop, man. Now, wow. Now, there's no chance the Ramones are getting back together, but I do think you could take Tommy Thayer in a fight. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, dude. Tommy's a, Tommy comes from a military background. His dad was in the in the service. And uh, How do you feel about makeup? <laughs> you know what, man? I tell you what, I don't know that there could have possibly been a better guy no, he's the for right that guy gig for that than Tommy. <laughs> Uh, you know, Eric will call me sometimes and he'll kid around and, and say stuff. And, um, and I've, you know, we've toured with Kiss. Yeah. Then, then Lizzie did uh, three weeks in Australia with Kiss. And Paul and I have actually gotten to be pretty good friends since then. And, yeah. and we stay in touch a little bit. But, um, yeah, that's, that's one of those dream gigs. That's, yeah, sure. that's, it's almost kind of beyond the dream. It's one thing for me to play in Thin Lizzy. It's another thing for Tommy to get to play in Kiss. Right, right, yeah. Uh, See, that again comes back to who would you want in that spot? Well, you got to want a guy like that because he loves and respects it so he much. He loves it. Yeah. He's never he going to do it wrong. It. Well said. He's a diehard Kiss fan. Has sure. been since he was a kid. Yeah. And I just, honestly, man, any of us that have been a part of a legacy band or a legacy act of any kind, I think those are the two essential elements. You have to love it, and you have to respect it. A lot of people get in it, but then they don't respect it. They just think all of a sudden it's about them. Yeah. It's like, wait a minute, bro. 
this thing was established long before you. Right. It's not your name on the marquee. You need to enjoy this opportunity and embrace it and enjoy it. But make sure you have your head on straight. Right. Have your perspective. Sure. Yeah. Well, it usually doesn't end well if you don't. No, it doesn't end well. And, you know, I never walked on stage one time with Alice Cooper with any delusion that I was going to upstage him with my dazzling guitar playing and handsome southern looks. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And trust me, there's been guys go through his band that have tried that. had visions of grandeur. <laughs> well, I mean, you know, and even Coop had a great attitude about that. He would just laugh. Yeah. Just like, yeah. Nice moron, try. You know? <laughs> Good luck to you. No, he's a, You're not going to upstage him. That life. guy's the Fred Astaire of... <laughs> Plus, it's a crazy thing about it. He, he hasn't lost anything either. Like, he's just as entertaining now as he was in the 70s. Oh, yeah. yeah. You know, I, I'm so proud of all these things and, and these experiences, and, and there's nothing I would change. There was nothing I would change. I just believe that these things are and have and will continue to kind of inform where I go from here. Mm-hmm. Um. You know, I love Black Star Riders, and we do a handful of Thin Lizzy dates now and then. But I can tell you with pretty much confidence, guys, I don't know that I would take another gig with some other band. I really wouldn't. I mean, it would have to be something ridiculous. It would have to be Kiss. It would have to be Guns N' Roses. Right. Right. You know, kudos to Richard Fortas, man. That guy's the perfect fit for that band. Um, It would have to be something like that. Um... You know, I just think that I have so much music that I want to write and things that I want to write about and sing. And, you know, I'm in the, the best town on the planet to do yeah, that, that, to have friends like Nick here, Marty Fredrickson's here. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, these guys are all a part of my past yeah. and my present. You know, I can make records inexpensively. You know, I know enough about the studio and and you know certainly digital recording that I wouldn't have to pay okay man I've got to come up with 20 grand and go make a record I wouldn't have to do that yeah those days are long gone well I could do a lot of it myself yeah if I can get into Nick's room and track the drums for real then I can do the rest of it in my house sure I put a blanket over a 412 cabinet so the wife isn't screaming at me for it being too loud (laughs) (laughs) dude I can make records so uh yeah. Well, I wanted to talk to you about the pledge music thing because I, yeah. I looked you. at it today. It looks like you're getting close to the finish line on it. I am, Chris, and and I've I've been really honestly surprised at how well it's done. Uh, I've never done one. Have been encouraged to do it for a long time, and there's a little bit of uncertainty bordering on anxiety. It's like, well, man, what if, what if it just fails? It could fail. Sure, yeah. These are, tough, yeah. these are tough times, dude. People don't have a lot of extra bread. Right. And um, whatever I, I say, I say it all the time in my acoustic gigs. I don't have a lot of fans, but all 172 of them are very passionate. Yeah. <laughs> and, they, and they have all stepped up, you know. They've, yeah. they've contributed in some way. Yeah. They've either pre-ordered the CD or the vinyl yeah. or, or you know they bought some item that was offered and well there, yeah and I was going to mention the good, cause, you know this is going out in the next week so um, 
there's some really cool packages you're offering on here for fans. I see some of the, the clothing has already gone fast. That's been the real surprise, yeah. guys. The clothing has gotten snatched up so much so that uh, Linda and I have kind of dug back through the closet. Yeah. Like, well, man... People I mean, love that stuff, though. People yeah. love it. Yeah. It's not like, oh, we need to get more stuff so we can raise more money. That's certainly important for me sure. to get the record finished. Yeah. But, man, if I'm a fan and I can get something that's, like that's that, like, stuff. like, hey, man, here's Damon's Thin Lizzy shirt that he wore for years before he was asked to join Thin Lizzy. Yeah. You follow There's me? There's a story about it. I'd want to buy that yeah, shirt. Sure. I'd want to yeah. own that yeah. if yeah. I was a fan. Uh, just today, man, I dug out an old duffel bag that I had uh, Virgin Records made us on the Wishpool album with Brother Kane and I've used it yeah. and it, it looks a little used but it was my bag and it says in this nice embroidery on the top you know Brother Kane Wishpool it's got the logo and nice. it says Virgin Records dude that's a one of a kind piece yeah, you know? yeah. the only place you're going to find that is on right. my pledge campaign that's awesome so uh, it's been a lot of fun the fans have been amazing it's been fun interacting with them on social media um, the wife's loving it because you're cleaning out the attic. <laughs> she loves it. It benefits you in multiple ways. Yeah, man. We met. We have a great guy. Great, my great new friend. His name is Jay. He's helping us. He's kind of administrating the place, and he's helped other artists with it. So he's oh, kind of right. held our hand and, yeah. and helped us through it. And we had a nice meeting at a, at a breakfast place one time, and he's very articulate and friendly and. He's like, no, you know, guys, I, I don't want to, I'm not saying you've got to get rid of some of this stuff, but it would really help if you could have, you know, A, B, C, and D, and Linda goes, got it, done, gone, <laughs> yep, can't wait, what else get this shit out of the house, <laughs> I'm tired of looking at it, and we've been, you know, we've been hauling it from place to place when we've moved, Right. she, she gives me a hard time about how many boxes there are that say, Damon's stuff, very important, do not move, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it's all just bullshit, man, that I haven't had a chance to go through. Reminds me of an old Kiss Home video when Eric was in the band, and they were talking about they're on tour and he's like one of the real problems for artists on the road is having a place to put all the swag you collect over the time of the tour because you got fans that are making stuff for you giving you stuff and you get free stuff from radio stations so eventually you end up having a, a giant shipping bill at the end of the tour just to get all your crap back to your house so. nobody worse than could do listen guys I've seen Alice Cooper's luggage cart two luggage carts going from the bus to the airport for the flight home yeah. because he's got so much shit. Now, yeah. most of it he bought. You know, he went, he, yeah. dude, that's his other he addiction. Shop. <laughs> shopping. Dude, that guy, you know, I, I, I certainly have friends that are recovering drug addicts and, you know, like, they're part of the, the addiction was the ritual. Yeah, you know, like, right. if, their, if their drug of choice was coke, it was the ritual of pulling out the baggie and getting out the credit card and chopping it out you know like that was all part of the process sure Cooper's addicted to taking out that credit card and swiping it in the you know the yeah, credit card the rush from it. Said, oh, what'd you get Coop I don't know Doesn't I don't matter. care <laughs> wow I got my shirt. Is, is there anything he collects like are you looking for certain things when he's out shopping like uh, you know man I mean I did uh, I did learn from him and observe that you know as a as a as an international legend, uh -huh. you know, you always need 
different clothes to wear because this guy gets his photograph taken multiple times a week. Right. Sometimes, yeah. you know, by professional photographers. Right. So, you know, man, I can show you pictures of me with fans where I have the same clutch t-shirt on that I had like six years ago because yeah. <laughs> yeah. I love that shirt man and I'm going to take it with me yeah. Coop doesn't roll like that no. he's like no man I got to get a new leather jacket and then he'll just give me his old one and it's nice. like some fucking $300 <laughs> all saints you know jacket that he yeah. bought in London somewhere oh, wow. it's like man that's <laughs> insane so yeah he definitely collects badass clothes yeah. killer shoes uh, and he collects golf clubs, none of which he pays for. He just gets yeah, all that shit for free. I went to his, uh, I went to his garage once at home, and bro, it was literally like the Callaway test uh, <laughs> test site in wow. Carlsbad, California. <laughs> it was insane. Did you know how to golf before you started hanging? I over? did, I did, I did, I did. It's another one of my favorite stories to tell. When he, when Alice called me at home to tell me that I got the gig, uh-huh. uh, we talked about the set list. We talked about the schedule, and just it was a quick discussion. And he said, "All right, buddy. Well, we'll see you next week at rehearsals." And uh, looking forward to it. I said, "Oh, Alice, one last question before you go." I said, "Would it be all right if I bring my golf clubs?" And he goes. Oh. You play golf? <laughs> and I said, yeah, I play. I said, I love it. I'm not very good. I said, but, you know, the tour is going to be six weeks. I thought, you know, maybe we could play once or twice a week. He goes, Damon, once or twice a week? He goes, we play every day. You just won the lottery. <laughs> oh, nice. Awesome. And, you know, I was just relieved that he was like, yes, bring your clubs. Yeah. You can play with me. Uh-huh. I didn't realize really what he meant by you just won the lottery. Guys, I won the fucking lottery. If you love golf and you join Alice Cooper's band, you're going to play free rounds of golf minimum five days a week. Sometimes seven for the rest of your time in the band. I saw all the nicest uh, clubs and courses too, right? Best track. Callaway is amazing. That's such a good partnership, Alice and Callaway. And, you know, Callaway sets it all up. They love the fact that Alice and the band are coming to some golf club that they do business with because it makes Callaway look good. Yeah, it's great promotion. Sure. So then, you know, they're cool with Alice bringing the band, and then we split it up into, like, two or three foursomes. Yeah. So you got, like, the head pro. And then the Callaway rep, and then Chuck and I are playing with two fans, you know, that are members of that club. And then at the turn, we split up, and then they get to play with Coop, and we play with the Callaway guy. Shit, man. I played more golf with Dan. I did music. (laughs) There's no contest right there, man. Well, there's probably some days where it's like... Could go either way on which one's more fun too. Well, yeah, yeah. I mean, it was I had so many great memories, man, of me standing behind the curtain, you know, with my rig, and we're about to start the show, and everybody's in their gear, and the crowd's getting fired up, and the smoke is starting to go because we're going to start the show. And, you know, I would be standing there, I'd always feel that quack, quack, quack on the back of my boots, and it was Coop with his cane and his full gear. He goes. 6.30 lobby call in the morning. Have a good show. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. 
can't make that shit up, man. No. That's, that's good stuff right there. Yeah. Well, before we wrap it up, uh, let's give the, de- the details on the Pledge Music so we can help get you over the top. Yeah. Guys, thank you so much. I will email you the link. Okay. If you, well, I mean, I guess you you said you saw it. Yeah, you know, uh, you memoirs can, of an uprising. Yeah, memoirs of an uprising is the name of my new solo album. Yeah, um, cool. the I think you can literally just go to pledgemusic.com and okay. search Damon Johnson, and it'll pull it right up. Cool. But yeah, man, we got three weeks left on the pledge. Um, for those that don't understand, you know, a pledge campaign for an independent solo artist like myself, it's really going to give me the ability to promote my record and really to tour the record, yeah. you know. Um, the fans are now the record company. Absolutely. Yeah. The fans are the one it's that the are gifting me, supporting me with this opportunity to make some new music and make it legit, man. You yeah. know, spend some money at a proper studio like Nick's place and have him mix it. Get the killer artwork. You know, I'm going to do vinyl for the first time, which I'm That's over great. the moon about. Right um, there's a lot of cool stuff there. Don't feel like you got to come and spend a wad. Mm-hmm. You know, you can just, you can get uh, a download of the record, uh, you know, an advanced version for when it comes out. Uh, we're shooting for November. Or if you fancy spending a bunch of money, you can get a Damon Johnson house concert. Or uh, oh, you can wow. we can we got rounds of golf. That's all the rounds of golf. Nice. Yeah, man. Option. That's cool. A lot of, lot of cool cool things. And um, but I just appreciate people checking it out more than anything. I just want them to know that I'm I'm putting out a new record, and the pledge has been great for that. Right. So uh, thanks for. Uh, no problem. We're talking about We it. like to do a playout song to end the episode, so any song from your career you want us to spin on the way out, and I'll put you on the spot. <laughs> wow. <laughs> no pressure. Any song from any my song. career. Solo, Brother Kane, Black Star, whatever you want. I feel at this moment compelled to ask if you would play something off my solo EP that I put out two years ago. I would say the live record that just came out. There's right. some great stuff on that. But um, man, play one of the rockers off of Echo. Either either nobody using or dead. Those are both. Uh, Let's play dead because I've played nobody using. Right on, man. Really proud of dead. I wrote that with Kelly Gray, my my awesome. buddy, my partner Queen from Jack. Slave to the System, and he was in Queensrÿche. And uh, love Kelly, man. He's a talent. We're gonna be writing some more songs together someday, right. really soon. Thanks but for you doing were, that. You were even in Queensrÿche for a minute, weren't you? I was not in Queensrÿche. No. I was in. A side project called Slave to the System okay. that Kelly Gray, uh-huh. who was in Queensryche at the time, he replaced Chris DeGlamo. Scott Rockenfield played drums. So it was Kelly, Scott, myself, and Roman Glick who played bass in Brother Kane. Right on, yeah. So the four of us made a badass rock record called Slave to the System that came out officially in 2005. You should search that search that out man. I'll do it uh, I promise you you're going to go wow I, I should have asked Damon about this because this is really good <laughs> yeah I know well, well next time we always have that we'll have to do this again yeah we'll have yeah. the follow up man hey we always do our Albums Unleashed series we can do Brother Kane we can do Alice Cooper we can do whatever you guys, want guys you're man. so fantastic I can't thank you enough for having me uh it's great to talk some rock music in my new hometown of Nashville, Tennessee, with some fellow Tennesseans. Yeah. Thank you very much. Good luck to you. Thanks oh, thank for you. Uh, thanks for uh, all that you do for us rock and roll guys. Oh, happy to right do it. Thanks on. for coming on the show. My pleasure. All right, guys. We'll see you next week. See you. 
Can 